Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Breaking Extinction podcast. I hope you guys all had a wonderful week. I am here with Liam and Kendra, and we are continuing with our porpoisodes, um, which are our shorter episodes that are sometimes not shorter, but they're supposed to be shorter, but that's okay because we have a fun time, and hopefully you have a fun time listening to them. But um, we have been doing segments where we read two chapters of a book every other week and um, dive into topics that are covered in that book. And we are reading Being Salmon, Being Human, Encountering the Wild in Us and Us in the Wild by Martin Lee Mueller. Um, And I'm just going to say I'm pretty gay for this book. Uh, (laughs) I was just like thinking that I was reading it. We are in chapters um, seven and eight this week. Um, So I just... Literally, like, there's not, I feel like there's, like, a couple things that I can think of that just, like, make my brain go pew, 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 like, with serotonin, and this book is one of them, um, and it's just, I'm obsessed, um, so we read chapter seven, um, and chapter eight this week, what were everyone's thoughts of, I'm obsessed, <laughs> I just, it just, uh, those are my thoughts, that's the end of the podcast, thank you for listening <laughs> Amen. I really like chapter seven. I mean, they're both really good chapters. Um, seven, I think I gravitated more towards just I about like, yeah. the ocean. I thought that chapter eight, which was like a lot of it, just not from the salmon's perspective, but like explaining the salmon story in a very like fictional novel kind of way. Yeah. Um, and very descriptive and beautiful. But I really liked the look at the ocean. Um, the ocean like in us around us how we're tied to it um and whatnot so I just I liked chapter seven better between the two chapters of of this yes podcast episode yes no I definitely felt the same way I was like seven just like highlighter going off because I was like all of this is gold um but yeah like there's a couple of quotes that I have in here that I just like I'm obsessed with but yeah no I totally like agree with you of how he talks about like the ocean I feel like um when he talked about depth which was the later portion of the chapter I was really into that and on page 130 he says depth refers to the way in which we are given uh to the world and in a necessarily ambiguous manner with some things hidden and other things close at hand and then on page 131 um I really liked this quote as well. It said, I cannot see the world from every direction at once and assume that the world can be um, completely and objectively understood. If mind really is inseparable from the body and the body is situated firmly in the depths of ecology, then it becomes quite impossible to speak of the world in a pure in purely objective terms. And I like, like we've talked about this as we've been talking about the book because like it's come up of just like, his approach is completely different than what we have in the science world. And like, like that pretty much just like sums up like a lot of my feelings towards how, you know, we perceive the environment and things like that. Like, I think it really is hard to be objective when you are so deeply connected to something. No, I just, I, I, I I agree. I I liked uh, chapter seven. I think the best definitely. I loved how it opened up um, with, um, with the accounts from the uh, pilots who were on board Apollo 17 
and what the initial just reaction um, was to just seeing the entire earth and just in the, in that one moment and how just for so long, a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of humanity, you know, uh, we've always kind of wondered, I felt, you know, what's really, what the earth kind of is like or what it's, what its relationship is, you know, in our universe. And I think it was when, when they first saw as what it was called the blue, mar as what they called the blue marble, that was kind of when a lot of these, uh, just a, a new wave of, of kind of like, of understanding, like, how do we actually connect to the uh, planet itself? Because if, because it was just so, for long, for so long, we just had this, you know, this idea of it just being so vast, the earth being so vast and us, you know, having such a big part of it when really, uh, when really we're just a small little speck out there in the universe, a very beautiful one. And I like how the, just the chapter just begins trans, uh, you know, to transition uh, from that Apollo 17 account, calling it the blue marble into kind of into talking about the relationship that we have with, with the ocean, because that's what they could, that's what most of the pilots could see was just the ocean. It's ocean that's surrounded the entire planet. And I liked how it described the atmosphere as like, it just this little gentle, of uh, gentle and and fragile haze that just completely blanketed everything and it's they they talk they talk about the earth like almost like it's a renaissance like it's a painting and then yeah it just it just it's interesting the way they talk about it and then how how it's sort of changed how we've seen we're starting to see the earth as, you know, just more than just a beautiful, just this beautiful paint, painting out of the universe, but something that, you know, we're part of that we get to help. Yeah. Just, just that we get to be a part of it, that we have a lot of ties to it, especially, you know, within the ocean, which I do remember hearing a thing, uh, an excerpt from John F. Kennedy a while back. This is off topic, but just about him kind of saying that eventually we're kind of all destined in some way to kind of come back to the ocean. It was a quote I heard a very long time ago, but it was something along those lines. And yeah, I like the I like how it goes into it'll go into it'll be very poetic, and then just go into a lot of extremely scientific detail about you know what it is that is kind of around us and it just kind of goes back and forth between that yeah no definitely um I definitely like that part of it too because it's like he could def he can go both ways and like it is very poetic um and I like when he talks about things being poetic um and I don't think that we're going to be able to, I really think everyone, I highly encourage everyone who's listening to go read this book for themselves because our conversation is not going to do this justice of how well this book is written. But I also like that he talked about like the fragility of earth, like that it's just like a fragile sort of thing because like I tend to, when I think of nature, think of it being like rugged and strong and like able to bounce back and it's like when you know we look at different animals or plants or things like that that have had 
issues with maybe going extinct or that were endangered at some point that no longer endangered. Like, you know, I like think about how a lot of them have made really strong comebacks, but also like, you know, like we see with the Southern residents, very fragile, not making a strong comeback. Um, so I thought that that was like an important thing to touch on. Cause I don't know about you guys, but just like in my own head, I just like view nature as being very strong and resilient. And sometimes even despite like talking about the Southern residents a lot and talking about a lot of environmental issues, forget that it is fragile just because it's been through a lot, you know? I agree. Sorry. My upstairs neighbors are stomping like insane and I'm just, it's aggravating. My um, kid does that all the time. So I feel you. Yeah. Um, but no, I agree. It, it's definitely, um, very fragile, but I really liked, um, the section, even like with the fragile ocean, fragile species, the ocean itself is not fragile. It is very mighty and powerful. Um, but I really liked the, seg in on not segment my goodness i'm thinking of like tvs on page 117 uh they he discusses the story of humanity as separation so and how that has physically altered the ocean which has then physically and that's altered species and put them at risk but things like overfishing plastics toxic runoff noise pollution acidification um each indicates that the narrative of separation still treats the oceans as a vast and passive environment or res extensa. It's a dump site, at times a treasure trove to be exploited at will. They are there for the, the rational intellect to study, manage, harvest, consume, trash, and ignore. They have no life of their own, which I think is kind of the mindset behind why certain populations and animals can be threatened because of our other directly by our actions. So things like whaling with the humpback whales in the Pacific um, and whales, other places with like the captivity era that knocked the Southern residents down significantly. It was like 40% of their population gone basically in a few short years. Mm -hmm. And then indirectly things like plastic pollution with turtles, whales, fish, um, invertebrates, plankton, whatnot. Um, stuff like that it's it's all connected and it's because we have this passive view of everything around us if it's not us or directly in like impacting us usually in a beneficial way like studying managing harvesting because those we get something out of that we study something we get it we get the reward a paper a clap on the back something cool that we learned which is all great like learning things is awesome but I'm definitely in the camp of sometimes we don't need to learn every little thing if if it's just kind of for what in like, a way or just for because just because you feel like it you know yeah because there are some studies that are done that like you're kind of like why was that done and then you look at like the impact like um, I was talking to someone on a whale watching boat and they worked on a they worked at a lab I forget where I want to say like the Bahamas that was looking at spiny dogfish um, or a deep sea, not a deep sea, but like a deeper sea dogfish species that required them to pull up the animal to then try and like study. But every time they did it, they didn't have the proper technology. So the, the dogfish died wow. and it made um, this person like completely rethink research. And they decided they didn't want to go into research and said they wanted to go into environmental policy and start regulating things like that, like paper, like people, researchers or whoever it is, can't just 
do something without looking into it or doing it the proper way. Cause even though I don't think that, that, that population of dogfish is endangered, it's just not sustainable. And I don't think that you should just be like, Oh, well, they're not threatened. So like if a couple die, it's whatever. Cause like at the same time, sometimes things do die through, through studies and through important studies. Like I think of the Vaquita, the issue when they captured that Vaquita, in like 2014 we had no idea if a vaquita would survive or die if we captured them but the cost was worth it if it um if it was going to pay off if we could keep a vaquita alive and then kind of capture a few more keep them somewhere safe where they aren't getting caught in the tobata get the tobata nets and whatnot um see if they can breed and kind of help bounce back the population didn't work vaquita died which sucked but then you knew um, and that was kind of a situation of that happened. It was sad. It was, it, it was not good, but it was better that we knew because if we could have done something better, whereas just like aimlessly fishing up dogfish and nothing, and just, they're all dying and you're like, whatever, next one and not improving. That's like a different story. Yeah. And I think we're, we're, we should be out of the era of doing that. Like, I can see how back in the day, like when science was like a new thing, studying animals was like a new thing. How do you learn about something? You pick it apart, you pull it apart. You don't know because you don't have that foundation of knowledge of the building blocks that like the ecosystem is fragile and complex. Like we don't know, like maybe the dogfish, like, you know, has like lives a really long time. Maybe they're like sharks where it takes them forever to sexually. Dogfish are sharks. Oh, amazing. Um, so yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> spiny dogfish are a species of shark they're actually the most commonly harvested for food as well dogfish okay lovely. so just fun facts for listeners um i should have i should have said little shark species dogfish are sharks well fun facts My for listeners and for erica yeah. we're learning so much um but yeah no i mean maybe they're like some of the other shark species that take like forever to sexually mature and like you pulling it out of the water like is not and you may be killing a female who is maybe just about to be sexually mature or, or like whatever could have more catastrophic effects than you think. But no, also I feel you too. Like it doesn't like, like do like, I mean, also like, were we not going out and doing like a little like study of, uh, of, cause like whenever I've done studies or been in the beginning of a, a study, you have to like go out and just like take a little notepad and just kind of like observe and just like see things and, you know, think about your study and what you're going to do. Like you're just getting that like preliminary sort of data to like, if it's not like formal data, but just figuring out how you're going to collect your data. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I think that's what was frustrating was that there are ways to bring this species up slowly so that it survives. They could get their study done, but it just wasn't happening. Um, and even then like, um, I'm, I'm not like, ant like sometimes in science critters die and that's how we like study them, yeah. especially deep sea science. I really like invertebrates. We, those are generally not surviving when we do plankton toes or bringing them up from like hydrothermal vents to evaluate them and to do like counts and figure out who's who identify new species, that kind of stuff. And dissections are very important. I definitely feel like with a lot of dissections, they can be done on like stranded animals, um, things like that. But still this was a, the, the dogfish situation from the story I was told sounded like the deaths could have been avoidable, but were treated 
just like throwaways. Like it was treated like nothing. And that's where in science that should not be allowed. And a lot of places it's not, but. And I think like early on in this book, there were examples of like scientists telling people like, you know, like we talked about like empathy and like scientists basically being like, oh yeah, like you shouldn't feel anything. Yeah. Descartes, Descartes did that as they would dissect it alive, which (laughs) they'd be like, don't listen to it. Yeah. It doesn't have feelings. Yeah. Don't have feelings for it, which is ridiculous. Even if like you're in a project where something is dying, um, whether it's little plankton, like planktonic species or like little brittle stars from hydrothermal vents, or uh, I don't know, big, like a fish, a tuna, you're researching tuna and you have to fish one up and do something. Um, if that, if the animals are dying, you should have like some kind of respect for that and not just see it as like a, Oh, who cares? Like even the little ones, even little brittle stars. Yeah. No, I totally feel you. Yeah. Yeah, There definitely should be like a certain level of respect. Um, yeah, I like, I mean, overall just like, it's just interesting. Like the, the ways that we're brought up and taught about things, like obviously impact the way that we view things later on and our actions later on. And I think ultimately like all of our environmental issues stem down to something deeper. Like, uh, like, you know, I think the whole dogfish example, that's something deeper. It's not it's like human ego. Yeah. Of like the person like, studying it wanted to do this paper and the value of the life of the five, however many dogfish that died before they did it correctly was didn't matter because in the end, I just want my paper done. It's annoying because it feels like everything is like, it's like, you have to ask yourself, like, at what cost am I getting X, Y, or Z? And like, whatever it is, whether it's like the dogfish paper, or if you're like fishing or if like, whatever it is that you're getting from something, it's like, what's the benefit. And like, I think that like, it's, I don't know, it's kind of frustrating because I feel like sometimes like we're like, if you start to question that people will be like, Oh, like get off your environmental high horse. Like who cares? Like, it's really not that big of a deal. Oh, like I, you know, why wouldn't you want to study this or do it this way or whatever? Um, but I do think it's definitely something like worth questioning, but I kind of feel like if you question it, people are like, you're not sciencey enough or like you're too emotional or whatever. Well, I feel like if you could just say if death can be avoided to get the same outcome, why not do what we can to avoid it? Yeah. Not saying we cannot study something if it will die at all. Cause I'm not in that camp because like I said, there are some things that to get it, to understand it. And that are important studies that thing will likely need to die. <laughs> yeah. um, but if it can be avoided, if you can like fish up a tuna, take its measurements, take a blood sample, let it go in an efficient way. Um, and that's part of your study. Why not do it the best way that will help that fish survive in the end, instead of just being like sloppy or whatever it is. 100%. Uh, and tuna, like it can be what whatever it is. I just use tuna because it's an easy one for me to say because it's a fish and it's everyone knows a tuna. Unlike not- dogfish. <laughs> what is a tuna? I what's a tuna? A squid or but no, I, I think there's no harm in just saying if we can avoid the animal dying and still get the results desired, why not do what we can to avoid that? Yeah. And, like and it comes down to people's ego or um not, I don't know, convenience, but just getting things done quick. I don't know. I can't think of the word, but like hastiness. Um, I feel like I always like 
I hear my dad's voice in my head being like, be patient. Like you don't need instant gratification. I feel like it's more of that instant gratification or close to instant gratification of like wanting something done, you know, right away. Yeah. So well, I'm tying it back to salmon because the book is about salmon. salmon. Mm-hmm. There's the, the issue of like though the, the salmon farming, we instead of lessening our consumption, we've now had tons of salmon farms. We fish salmon like crazy. There's the artificial lighting and whatnot that they put little baby salmons through to get them to, you know, stuff like that that we've talked about in other episodes. Um, it's the convenience and instant gratification instead of maybe a couple years that the salmon runs are low. You don't eat salmon that year. You lay off salmon until the population is better, but we don't do that. We have found other ways to create the salmon to feed our demand instead of following nature and being patient and delaying our own gratification for like the health of the ecosystem related to said salmon. For sure. And I like, you know, I like I get it. People have their needs and their wants. And I think also a lot of people, like I would say that people probably like in middle America who are like buying farm salmon are probably just completely unaware of like what's going on. Like my dad loves salmon, like him and his wife, they just like eat lots of salmon. And like, I've told them about stuff to do with salmon and they just were like, what? Like, like, like a lot of people just don't know. Um, so there's that, but it's like, also once you do know, like, like, I think some, I think also too, like, because that we're not connected to it, because like, we don't see the salmon runs because it's not local it's harder to actually believe that that's going on. Like, and it's a lot easier to be like, well, I want my omega threes, you know? Yeah. Well, the, the lack of understanding or education, whatever you want to call it with salmon and conservation issues, like is everywhere. And with everything happened with, I didn't know anything about plastic pollution. When I lived in Arizona, I thought people were weird for being so angry about plastic. Um, Cause I had like faintly heard things but I didn't know anything. And then I moved somewhere where I saw it and I was like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. And then I learned about things like salmon. I never really ate salmon. So it wasn't like I had this whole conflict of like, oh my God. But like, I learned about it. My family knows about it. I don't know how much they've changed or they know, but like I've posted, I share, I talk about like seafood, sustainable seafood, um, that kind of stuff. But it's something that when you're so far separated from it, I don't even think I knew salmon were partially fresh water at all. I didn't know anything about salmon besides I ate it growing up because my mom made me, but like it was a commodity. Yeah, exactly. It was just like a food. It's same with like chicken, same with um, beef, lamb. You don't think about where it comes from, what, what the process is because you're eating it. And that's a big separation. Whereas when we're closer to this, the ocean, closer to salmon, closer to like, I was really close to like mahi, trevally, um, and tuna, stuff like that you learn more about what it means like oh is that actually sustainable when like you see what's going on and then you kind of get more involved but it's hard when that's not everyone's there yeah definitely and like I'm kind of thinking too because like you know in the book he talks about like you know speaking poetically and like us having like this depth of a relationship with the planet and like I think because that we have these like separations and we have these like big words and like when people, I feel like when we're trying to educate people about like 
you know, foods to eat or not eat. Like, you know, when you see people like, look at how terrible these chickens are treated or like, look at how bad the salmon is treated. I feel like it's like, I, it's maybe harder to conceptualize because it like they, we don't have that connection. And I wonder if like maybe trying to, in a way, like poetically share about the salmon in a way that's not the plight of the salmon dying, but like just salmon as itself, because I mean, salmon in itself is incredible and beautiful and amazing and inspiring. Like, you know, maybe trying to communicate with people that way. I wonder if that would help, but I think like we've just kind of lost that connection to nature. And I think that like this sort of poetic language brings us back. Well, he kind of says that in chapter eight, I must said two, <laughs> eight, when he's giving the story of like the salmon from a very fictional poetic type of way, like mm-hmm. she travels this, she feels the ocean around her, la la la. And then he separates into like, Oh, it's his point of view again. It's like people would not, well, do not like when we write beings and animals a certain way when we anthropomorphize them, um, essentially. And I'm going to find the section of what it is exactly that he says, because um, I really liked it. Because like I'm guilty of it. I don't love anthropomorphism um, in very that. different in, in in situations. But yeah. So on page 136, after his first like section about the, the baby salmon growing up and her going into the ocean, um, he says, are we over animating the salmon, recreating some comic anthropomorphic projection of what it is like to be them? Or are we beginning to allow them to show themselves in their agency? Oh, we love that. We love that. I just like you always say like nuance is like it's there's just always like layers and depth and different things and like that there is that fine line between anthropomorphizing and not anthropomorphic like but like and that's like the one thing that I've thought about a lot is like when we try to just like view things objectively are we missing out are we closed off to the possibility of something else like and I I kind of I'm in the camp of like objectivity doesn't exist I think that we can try really really hard but like true 100% objectivity I don't think exists for anyone because we all just look through things through our own lens and are unconscious of the way that we think sometimes um but yeah no I think that that's beautiful and I think that I think it can be both I think that we can both be anthropomorphizing a little bit but also allowing the salmon to show itself but I think that like you know animals in the planet have more depth and maybe more like you know like we're seeing there's culture with whales like you know who and like when you meet dogs they have different personalities I've encountered whales that have that do different behaviors that maybe you could say that you know they have different personalities as well like there's a fine line between being like oh my god like this salmon is my best friend oh my god look at us swimming together like it's so fun versus like or being like, oh my God, the salmon loves me um, versus being like, oh, like this is like the life of the salmon and in its own right, it's like complex, you know? Yeah, I have like a slight theory that the people who are more willing to give animals, um, I don't know, not anthropomorphize them, but like give them themselves Mm -hmm. in a way that is not for our benefit were the kids that like played with animal toys and like 
read the warrior cat books and like were into because like I when I grew up my sister thought stuff like that was so weird like reading stuff from an animal's point of view any movies with talking animals she hated I loved them like I was like all for unless they were like real real big Disney movies but I loved like Balto was like my favorite movie animal centric movies are my favorite I played with like Lilith's pet shops I hate I did not do Barbies didn't do human toys I read warrior cats some other weird wolf books the owl books stuff like that I kind of I have like this little theory that maybe the people who are like more in the camp of it's okay to see animals as more than this non-thinking instinctual being um, but as like a fully formed being like we are but just not us so yeah um, that that's my just little theory I don't know if anyone else can I mean, confirm that. Think, reflect on yourself. Reflect on yourself. You, were you an animal nerd growing up? I definitely was. Eliza Thornberry was like my shit. Like her and her like monkey that hung out and like talked to each other and like would do things and talk to animals. That was awesome. Um, yeah. No. Liam, I were you an animal? An animal kid? A what kid? Sorry, my thing glitched out. Like an animal kid. Uh. I was kind of on off about that. I mean, I, there were some, I'm trying to think. I mean, they definitely were. I mean, I was, you know, a kid, you know, person who mostly grew up on PBS. I mean, you know, I remember I watched, I used to watch Fetch with Ruff Ruffman a lot, which yeah. that was a basically, um, you know, I was an anthropomorphic dog and anthropomorphic cat. Yeah, they had the library lions. Yes, library lions. I'm just uh, uh, dragon tails. Jeez, good lord! I'm just remembering all these. Uh, but yeah, I I I remember those. It might have it might have influenced me. I'm not sure. I don't think I don't think so. Just because I didn't really read that much into into TV shows as as a kid. Mostly, in fact, it was hard for me to understand what the characters were even saying i mean i understand i mean i understand what they're saying but sometimes it just go out it just go out the other end mostly it, it was just the visuals that i i would try and kind of read things from but yeah maybe it's it's possible a little bit probably yeah that is as you were saying with the warrior cats which i remember that yeah probably some people might want to overly anthropomorphize animals that animals that way which am i am i all right yeah i'm fine yeah yeah so there was that and i mean you know one thing i'm wondering is because i'm i'm thinking and i'm like because i think i don't know if indigenous cultures like here i don't think well i think some may have quote-unquote anthropomorphized them which uh which well even then it's sort of on off because it really depends. I mean, because there are a lot of culture, a lot of their culture is built between, you know, the relationship that humans have with the natural world. And who knows, maybe if they did anthropomorphize or animals, maybe that probably had influence on how they saw salmon and in turn, how they were able to keep living with them you know, for such a long time without, you know, being without, you know, being greedy, like what it shouldn't be a negative thing. Maybe. Maybe it's just, maybe it's our, just our, our version of anthropomorphizing 
promorphizing oh god i can't say it, is <laughs> probably dead. different it is different than how you know other people do it and i think our perspective probably- is what's different we see it as a negative thing whereas most yeah. other people or some not other other people in many capacities don't see it as a negative it's a great benefit to the animal and to them um yeah so yeah. I think it's the same, like whether when we anthropomorphize something, it tends to be the same. Maybe not when like if someone's like that whale recognizes me and I know he loves me because he blows. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. that. Well, that that's- well, well, what I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to say is that is that maybe indigenous or anthropomorphization, if there was any, they interpreted it as differently. Like basically, basically it's like they take that, but they don't say, oh, we should, because we think, because they're so much like us, we should continuously hang out with them and, you know, do all these sort of things, you know, maybe in, instead they took that as, okay, these are animals that need to be just respected and, you know, given their own space. You know, that, that's what I'm yeah. trying to say. Yeah. No, I like, feel like, I think we've kind of covered that before. Like they should be as themselves. They don't need to have a direct benefit to us. Yeah, so. exactly. But no, I definitely, I was thinking about that and was going to bring that up of like this idea of anthropomorphization. Like, is that a, you know, post-colonial perspective too? Like, I think that's another thing to consider. Um, And yeah, like I agree with Kendra. Like, I feel like it's not something that necessarily has to be negative, but like, it's like one of those things where it's like, take it with a grain of salt. Like, I do really think that like when people form a personal connection to animals, to wildlife, to the ocean, they are more likely to care about it and do something about it. And that is ultimately why I work on a whale watch boat, you know, because I have a really unique opportunity to talk to people about like, you know, we'll be looking at a humpback whale. We can talk about the Southern residents. We can talk about salmon. Like there's a whole lot of issues that we can talk about out on that boat. And when somebody sees a jellyfish or a fulmar or a whale, like they're going to form that connection. Um, so I, you know, I don't necessarily think it's bad, but I feel like the scientific community has taught us that it's bad. Um, and it's kind of ironic because I just had someone, I just had a conversation with someone and they were like, it's a California thing to say friendly whale, like everywhere else they say that whales like mug you. Um, and they're like, you know, it's true taboo to say friendly whale, which I, I didn't know this, like, cause I mean, I've only experienced quote unquote friendly whales in California but this girl explained her perspective to me and I totally see it. And now I'm kind of trying to change my verbiage instead of being like this friendly whale. Cause like, we don't know if it was friendly or not. Like, and I can't be like, this whale's my friend. Like halo, the whale did come and visit our boat lots of times played with our boat, but I don't feel like halo and I are like close personal friends. We're not like BFFs. We're not grabbing a beer after this. Like, you know, um, that whale just like came up to our boat. Not sure what the reason was. Um, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, I definitely feel like it with the bit about anthropomorphizing why it's a negative thing that I I would say, yes, it is post-colonial. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at places that have been colonized prior to colonization, the connection with the environment and biodiversity was much better. The treatment of everything was much better. Even today, the majority of biodiversity conservation work is being done by indigenous communities um, that are in colonized air, like here in BC, all the all in the US, look at Hawaii, which is colonized, stuff like that. Uh, and Descartes, who like the book is constantly referencing Descartes, is French. 
Europe, prim- a lot of colonizers are from Europe, especially when we're looking at Canada, United States, yes. um, Hawaii things that is um, European ancestry colonization. I would definitely argue in the favor that colonization is the reason we look at anthropomorphism bad and that why we're like, oh, they anthropomorphize that. Like that's a, ne- you're not good at science. You're not good at objectifying things and being unbiased and blah, blah, blah. Um, Mm-hmm. And yeah. that can be kind of like Definitely. an issue with colonization, like in the sense, like, I mean, if you think about it, like, I'm sure that they were objectively looking at the ways that they were colonizing and being like, just see it this way. And that's why it's fine. And so like, we did it to humans. Like, yeah, exactly. So it's like a, like, it's a lack of empathy, like altogether. And I think that like, I think it's like, cause when I've visited other places, like I've been to like seven countries, like you know, I lived in Africa for a bit, like, whoa, oh, sorry, um, you, you really jumped, <laughs> my door just, like, opened, and my dog is, like, screaming, um, paranormal activity, I don't know, that was terrifying, um, we're just gonna, thank you, Peaches, for protecting, um, anywho, back to the crime, um I don't know what that was like actually scary I'm like what was that it was probably just the wind yeah thank you you're so good at protecting thank you um but yeah like I mean thank you um but I feel like a lot of other places kind of just like I'm dead (laughs) um this is a serious interruption thank you peaches for your contributions but I feel like other places have different relationships with animals and it's like definitely based like culture by culture basis and like even there's different attitudes within, you know, different facets of the same culture. Obviously, like we have that here every, like, you know, they're all equally complex. Um, so yeah, I definitely like, I think it's normal for people to want to anthropomorphize in a sense, or to create that connection. And I also do think that it is a little bit egotistical, like when people are like, oh, animals don't have emotions. Like if you think about it from like, even from like a science perspective, like our emotions serve like survival purposes for us while they are like not always doing that. Um, that is like a function of them. And so why would animals not have the same thing? Also, like if you've met peaches, you would know the animals have emotion because she's very dramatic constantly crying um no but like in all seriousness like uh, we can't say because we don't live that experience and like you said like I think it's one of those things too of like it's like if we don't know something and like Kendra you're talking about like just studying shit just to study it and figure out things just to know things like do we really need to know if like animals have emotion or not like I like I think that there's like a bottom line of just like a certain level of respect that we should show to the planet and to other animals and to other people. And like, we don't necessarily need to find ways to justify that. And it kind of feels though, sometimes like when you're wanting to respect the planet or you're wanting to do something that's better that people want a justification as to why, just because it's gotten so normal to not, you know? Yeah, just, uh, I mean, yeah. I think ultimately, what will probably determine whether what probably determines whether or not anthropomorphism or or an individual an individual's anthropomorphism is bad is depending on it just it all depends on what they do with it in a way if they do it to benefit the animal then you know 
that's where it's good. If it, if they use it to benefit themselves, and that's where it's bad. For sure. I mean, that's very, very boiled down, but. No, I feel yeah. you. It's like, it's hard to, I, I really feel like everything, every single thing needs to be looked at on like a case by case basis. But no, I feel you ultimately like, and or like get to a place where it's like not necessarily beneficial for anybody. It's just like neutral. Yeah, know? neutral. That's what I meant. Yeah, that's um, what I meant. Yeah. Like, because I feel like there's a lot of things like it's just like you see things where I don't know. I just feel like I see we we all do. We all see animals getting and the planet being disrespected every single day. Like, you know, just it, it's part of living in a capitalistic society. And I'm not saying like, oh, my God, capitalism is like the worst thing ever. But like environmental like exploitation is a huge part of capitalism and like you know even the people like we see even people who care who claim to care about animals out there disrespecting them like I see it almost on a daily basis like you know so it's like it's really important I think to question our relationship to the planet but also like the one thing I don't think I'll ever understand is like people who claim to care about the environment that like are not I don't we we can't be perfect we all can't do things I drive a car I work on a boat those are fossil fuels like I like all the lights are on in my house that's like me burning energy right now like no one can do things perfectly but it's just like kind of going back to what Kendra said like when there's the option to not kill to not exploit to do something better why are we not taking the extra steps even if it makes it a little bit more difficult to do that thing you know and like there are certain circumstances where like you know, maybe buying more sustainable products are more expensive and like people that, you know, make a certain wage can't afford that. Like, I totally get that. Like, but, and that's completely understandable and like not their fault, but like, you know, there's a lot of, I feel like there's a lot of easy things that we could do better that we see people and like not doing. And I'm not saying that I do everything perfectly. And I definitely like have taken shortcuts and stuff like that. But what I mean more so is like, it seems like it's the norm to like, like people will think that you're weird for trying to take the extra steps to do something different. Like, I don't know. It's, it's a time. I just, yeah, that's kind of my thought. Even like I've noticed too, in, in having conversations with people in the field or like within like the whale watching industry about ways to improve the whale watching industry, like for the animals, for the environment, like people don't like that conversation. And I don't understand why you know the conversation of just talking about the environment of making whale watching more sustainable yeah oh yeah well yeah so yeah well that's i think probably people you know they don't they think that if whale watching my theory is that if people and usually if any kind of criticism of any practice comes up i think people are just afraid of of what advantages they'll quote unquote advantages they'll lose basically Cause they think, cause I think, you know, some people might think, oh, if we make whale watching, you know, more sustainable, then we'll have less opportunity or we'll, or, you know, we won't get the pictures that we wanted or, or we'll boycott or whatever. I think it's just ultimately any criticisms, uh, the criticisms from, uh, of making something more sustainable is what people will probably have to um, give up. Yeah, I feel you. It's like, it's, it's obviously like nuanced and complex and there's like more to it. And that was just like an example that I thought of, of just like, because it's my day to day and it's like, you know, 
what I see, but it's just like, sometimes it's hard to, to see pushback even within the community, like community people who, you know, are the people that care about animals, quote unquote, you know? Yeah. Well, we saw people push back against the new NOAA regulations for the spinner dolphins in Hawaii. And it was one of those, like, why, why is letting them sleep and leaving certain areas so upsetting to you because you don't get your dolphin pictures and a couple of times like there were bays where dolphins had not been visiting for three years that even people were like why is this bay on this list why are we shutting this down that doesn't make any sense um but a lot of people that were pushing back against it and not very happy um it was just kind of aggravating being like these dolphins are losing their coves to sleep in because you just want your pictures because we've advertised them as like this like peaceful species you can for sure swim with if you visit Hawaii even though it's not good for them um it's just it's frustrating and yeah you deal with whale watching every day so it's going to get frustrating when actions that are meant to help the whales are being are upsetting people that want to help the whale it's just like it's weird because it's like there's so much pushback like and there are definitely people who I've talked to who feel similarly or the same way that I do but they don't necessarily like voice their opinions super often because they're so like people are so quick to be like no that'll never work like this will we can't do this because of x y and z no it's actually not that bad no I'm actually doing the most for the whales and it's like no like you're not um so it's yeah I don't know it's it's complex and it's hard like to I don't know just ultimately we need to get to like you know themes like throughout this book and like just like throughout the whole issue of the southern residents and like lessons that I've learned doing this podcast and talking to different people is like that we need to be like it is important for people to feel more interconnected to their planet like and to the environment around them like it really genuinely does make a difference on if people are going to care and the actions that they take and I think we need to pretty much just like normalize caring and then maybe stop like villainizing anthropomorphizing like not saying like oh like I need to save this specific whale because it's my friend like and it's entangled or something but being like oh like let's disentangle this animal because of you know whatever x xyz reason or whatever example you can come up with because there's lots of examples um but yeah those are those are kind of my thoughts is I just feel like ultimately like we need to get to like you know the the anthropomorphizing and the poetic way of speaking about the planet and about wildlife um isn't necessarily a bad thing because I think people want to be connected and I think that we are connected to the planet and those like talking about it in not like a super dry scientific way can help us to make those connections, you know? And not to say that you can't make connections through science because you totally can. Um, But I think for the vast majority of people, you're going to get through to them better in a poetic sense versus purely scientific. Yes. Good. I agree. Yeah, I agree as well. Is this coming in here now? Cool um yeah do you guys have any final thoughts I feel like we talked about a good like we covered yeah I'm good Uh, I'm good well barely said anything that's okay we we all have have times where we're quiet and and just listen listening is great too um all righty guys well thank you so much for joining us uh come back in two weeks and we will be reading chapters nine and ten 
um and then let's see i think there's 13 chapters in this book so we, I think have, we have three episodes left of this book three episodes of this left so pick up this book if you haven't already it's completely worth it and i also um i found a video that they did at the um like climate summit about this and i haven't watched it yet but i'm gonna link it and i'll watch it before we do the next episode and then like it, it's probably good i'm sure that's good but i'm gonna link it so if you're not reading the book you can at least go look at that gang gang all righty guys well thanks for joining us have a good week bye bye bye